congregation of Jesus Christ, as uh, we gather here this afternoon, I wonder, did you know that as a Christian Reformed Church, we actually have a support through our, our ministry shares, through the offerings we give to the general fund, we support a race relations committee. Race relations committee. It's one of the ministries that we support in the budget. They have a, a website, and on the, on the website, this is, this is the header for the website. And so you have the different feet of different ethnic groups, right? The different colors of feet. And that's on a red carpet with some... I'm not exactly sure what it all stands for. <laughs> there are little sparrows there and everything. It's nice. But it means to show the different races, the different skin colors, ethnicities. And so the, the website for our race relations, and then they have a specific mandate. The Ministry of Race Relations mandate is to design and organize and implement programs that will assist the denomination, churches, and members in eliminating the causes and effects of racism within the body of believers and throughout the world. So that's, that's a, a part of what we as church are, are trying to do through this this committee. Now, we were, we were talking at the worship team, and, and we thought to highlight uh, some of these lesser-known ministries in, in our worship times, too, and just, just to get a sense of, of, too, what's all involved in our church ministries and, and what we do and how that works. And so part of our vision as a church to be a Bible-believing witness in this world includes a sensitivity to the different races and how the gospel goes out, and so to have a good understanding of the work and why it's done. Now, I wanted to ask you, can you think of, of why we started this committee? What if I tell you that it started around 1960? in the Christian Reformed Church. Why do you think we started a special race relations team back in 1960? Pardon? Ah, that started in New Mexico. There was also at that time a lot of racial tension, right, in the States? And so, especially our, our sister churches in the States, they were in the middle of all of the racial tension, black, white, Martin Luther King, all of that kind of thing. And so, the church felt at its center, too, we need to look at that and, and work with that. And, and what is that? And so, that's where it started, and that's what the initial committee was called to do. Now, you might think that, that this is done now, right? Because there's a, a black president. And then if, if, if we think about it, too, in Canada here, well, yeah, it's really not a problem here. So we could just shut down this committee. Done. Save a little money. Everything is good. The sense of the committee's work is, is ongoing. 
And the need to be sensitive in this area is continually a challenge to the church. And so the question, too, that I put as the title for the sermon, Are We Racist?, is, well, the initial thought, well, no, of course not, of course not. But there is a constant struggle of, okay, what does God call us to do? How are we called to live out our reality, our faith among the nations and, and things, cultures, ethnicities that are different than ours? We begin with God's word and, and that glorious vision in, in our text of the redeemed people of the world. Uh, that beautiful vision who is going to be saved? Revelation 7, verse 9. As I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. A definitely not a racist vision. God is calling all people to faith. And there's all ethnic background, Chinese, black, Hispanic, First Nations, uh, Ukrainian, Russian, all are welcome. A powerful picture of the racial variety of believers God calls to faith. We don't, we don't set the visions there. That's the vision of the church in its fullness. But sadly, that's not where we are specifically. The prayer that, that Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, that, that's still being worked on. That's still a challenge for us. We're not there yet. So if, if you look biblically, the languages and the nations were divided at, at Babel. And when there was that sinful uh, desire to, to seek power uh, in, in the unity of the, the nation, the people there, then God divided the languages and from there the cultures. And that division has continued to develop racial tensions, differences, and things which we struggle with today. So the reality of a church witness in this world has to be aware of those racial ethnic tensions and to call believers, people, seekers and believers from all ethnic backgrounds into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that grows into the, the reality of God's plan when uh, at Pentecost the effects of Babel are, are changed, right? Then, then the gospel goes out into all the different languages. And there are people there from many regions and they receive that gospel good news and they go back and they share that seed of faith and that sense of the gospel going out. As, as Joel prophesied to all people, the gospel message of salvation in a wide variety of languages. That also builds on Jesus' words in Acts 1 verse 7, where Jesus says, go out from Judea and Samaria. It was already a jump to Samaria and then to all the world. So there's a that big vision of drawing people into relationship with Jesus Christ as the Savior. 
So that witness is being worked out here in the book of Acts. Now, in the book of Acts, that comes most clearly in our minds and in our understanding through the ministry of Paul. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is the one who goes out to those others and brings the gospel. And so you have Paul's three missionary journeys. You have all his letters to different places and and groups and churches. And so that's one side. But at the very same time, less well-known is God's working by his spirit inside the Jewish Christian community that has centered in Jerusalem. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 2 verse 7 that Peter has the duty of making this all-nations kind of witness clear inside that very closed Jewish community while Paul had the task of going out directly to the Gentiles to call them to faith. And so the account we read here from Acts 10 is this key step in the realization that making racial ethnic distinction that is contrary to God's will and to the ministry of Jesus and to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And what we read in Acts 10 is actually repeated in Acts 11 very, very striking to the Jewish Christian community, the early church in Jerusalem. Peter is a key leader there, and he is given this sign from heaven based on an area of visible cultural, ethnic, religious distinction between the Jewish community and the Gentiles. It is this dietary distinction, this dietary law of the Jewish people. They have held to it strictly out of their desire to be obedient, that they are not allowed to eat certain meat, certain animals, no reptiles, certain birds, but mainly no. And so this has all been held tightly, closely. But it becomes restrictive to the fuller sense of the gospel. We are not saved by our dietary practice. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so that message has to rise above any distinctions that can get in the way. So Peter, who is hungry here in Acts 10, verses 11 and 12, he is hungry, he is thinking about food, he's wanting to eat something, and then the vision of food comes on a sheet like a big tablecloth spread out in front of him, and he's told to kill and eat, and we would think, oh, that's, that's kind of odd. But that was normally what was done. So he would have no sense of, oh, okay, here is animals that, that, that I would kill and eat. But these are not animals that he would kill and eat. In fact, he is shocked by the animals that are there. Leviticus 11 says these are all forbidden. These are forbidden animals. You may not, may not eat those. And you need to understand that uh, it's two impulses. Definitely, Peter is struck by his desire to be obedient to God, which is excellent, absolutely. Along with that is is just a a basic gut realization of, oh, I, I could never eat this stuff. 
and and if you bring those together like like some sense of i don't know do you eat beef liver it's like oh some people no i could never eat that right or tongue or something like this or i don't know you put broccoli in front of kids and they turn green and you can't eat this stuff right it just oh and so he looks at these animals and and it's it's like some people don't eat fish they just they just can't oh it just oh it doesn't you can't eat that stuff and so it's it's between abs- totally a faith response and even just a bodily response this is I can't. Oh no, Lord, definitely not. In in every sense, Peter's reply is is a faith reply and and just a very visceral reply. Why does God use this vision about food to teach Peter that the Gentiles are now welcome? Because because the distinction is is so strong. It, it is a very strong, a major distinction that, that is held between the Jews and the Gentiles in that day. And, and in Acts 11, verses 1 to 3, Peter's friends criticize him for eating with the uncircumcised people. That's, that's just not allowed. You're not allowed to eat with them. You're, you're not allowed to interact with them. And so you need to realize... Uh, how uh, specifically this vision points to uh, the Gentiles now coming to faith. Now they are accepted. That's the point of the vision, not the food itself, but that now these people are welcome. These people are to be accepted. These people are to be brought into a saving relationship. And so in Acts 10, verses 22 and 23, when, when it says, Cornelius has invited you to his house. No way! There is no way that he's going to go in Cornelius' house. It's as if Cornelius' house is an Ebola treatment center. And there's no way you're going to go in there. It, it, it's deadly and it'll kill you. And and then it says that Peter invited them into his house. That's, that's not done. You, you don't invite people with Ebola into your house because it's going to kill you. And that's the sense of this is dramatically different. This is dramatically stepping out in faith. Peter says there in verses 34 and 35, I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but expect, accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So it's a, it's a beautiful vision taken to heart that Peter, trusting in God, believing in what God has done in Jesus is a new and, and, a, and a beautiful experience Expanding of the vision of the kingdom of faith, of drawing people into a saving relationship. And so Peter goes. Peter does what's difficult to do, trusting and seeing the blessing of God. And when they go, when they go, he finds not death but life. 
if you read about him going to the house and, and speaking to Cornelius, and then there's life. There's, there's joy. There's the Spirit of God. There's the presence of God. And so in other cultures, in other traditions, in other languages too, God is being worshipped in beautiful ways, and we need to accept that and receive that work of God. How are we doing as a Christian Reformed Church in regard to this beautiful vision? The actual vision of mission outreach to many nations and peoples is good. We as a church have gone out and and done amazing things by God's grace, and, and that vision is strong and true, and there's no hesitancy there. But within our North American church culture, we have kept to ourselves ethnically, racially. Really, in the States, in Canada, in the Christian Reformed Church itself, there's only, uh, there's less than 5% of people are of different ethnicities. So in the whole Christian Reformed Church, there's less than 5%. And, and out of that 5%, we do have 7,000 people within our our denomination, about 300,000 people, 7,000 of those are Korean, the Korean believers, and and beautiful. And they were at the seminary. It was so nice to work with their leaders. But they have about 50 churches, just Korean churches. And so they keep to themselves. There's not a lot of joining in actual church settings. And then we have about 8,000 members who are uh, either like black African-American churches or uh, Hispanic churches now in the States. There's, there's quite a number. And some of the Native American churches. But that remains separate. And that's unfortunate. That those kind of distinctions, it is very challenging. We still hesitate. And even here, just generally too, yeah, there's not exceptional opportunity to engage with, with other racial groups, but still the, the hesitancy is there. When, when Barb and I were in the States this summer, the different churches too, it was, we went to a, a big Baptist church by Boston and it was, it was pretty much, yeah, white, that was it. And so, yeah, and we did look later on. We looked for a black church. We went and we drove around and we we found one and we thought we would go in. We sat just in the back, uh, just down the street a little bit and we watched. We were just, we were in time and then the black people were going in and going in and there were no no white people going in. And we stopped, We, we didn't, we thought to we'd throw him off. I, said, I don't know. We didn't want to upset him or, I don't know, the other side. And we thought we'd just go there and we'll worship with them. But in the end, we, we just we went to another church, Christian Reformed Church. It was just down the road. What, what is that, though? I mean, they're Christians, we're Christians. Yeah, just to come together. And it's, it's, it's a, a struggle and just to, to somehow work that out. This is part of the work of, of the committee, especially in the States, but all of us too. We have it 
with our First Nations friends. And I appreciate, too, that, uh, like Ella, you work, too, very closely, too, with our, our First Nations friends and Harold Roche uh, doing beautiful work, but still, say, to, to have some of them join us here. Yeah, how do we do that, right? And how do we welcome them? And would they feel comfortable? And so those kind of challenges continue to be there. Our faith gives us the answer to those racial distinctions. We believe that there is only one race, the human race, people made in the image of God. And so that gives us a view that welcome. We also, uh, our faith gives us uh, the other answer, adding to the first, that there is only one Savior. And God's love in Jesus goes out to all races and people. And so we have a message for all. And we can come together in the love of Christ, which is what is being presented there to Peter as well and continues to be a challenge for us. So just very practically, if you encounter or know people of a different race or background, uh, be deliberate in befriending them. Speak to them. Uh, invite them into your house or go to their house. That's, that's the thing out of this passage. He was invited and he went. If they invite you, go. You can invite them. Those realities work out. We have a nice uh, a bit of a range for our Thursday evening dinner. And there you get get a, a bit of a wider range too. We invite people and they come. And that's a beautiful thing. We see that as a denomination, we continue to support the work of race relations and we seek to work out that broader vision of God's glorious multiracial church and kingdom. Amen. We're going to sing as a song of response from number 606. Oh God of every nation, it's a difficult tune, so we're changing the tune to 555. But it gives a sense of the nations that God calls together. So we'll stand to sing. <laughs> 